1: I got to tell you what, Zach. There ain't nothing going on today. What a boring day it is, news-wise here. Uh, you know, for my show, it's in- in- incredible. It really is. I mean, you know, we got we got Carrie Severino going to be with us, co-author with uh, uh, Molly Hemingway on Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh uh, confirmation hearing. I mean, uh, we're going to talk about that. I got. Carrie, how are you today? Let, let's get you get you up here on the Dave Oswick show. First of all, I, I got to ask you: a big news story today is, will they or won't they impeach this president? It's just, these Democrats are the craziest people I've ever seen.
2: Uh, you know, they, some of them certainly want to impeach anything that's moving in this administration. <laughs> well, that's whether that's the president, the Supreme Court justices. I mean, it's like it, it doesn't matter if it's anyone who's ever been in the same room as Trump. Impeach him. <laughs>
1: so, that's the truth. I, I, you,
2: When even Nancy Nancy Pelosi is uh, sounding a little skittish about it, though, I think that that shows that uh, that's not really what a lot of people want to do. And I think I think there's some extreme elements in the Democrat Party that are trying to drag the whole party to the left. We see it there. We see
1: it all over the place. Well, here's what I see. I see a president who knows what he's doing. He plays these people like a fiddle and he's let them go get into a lather about this phone call and. He's seen the transcript. You know he's seen the transcript. He knows there's nothing there. Boom. He's going to drop it tomorrow, and the American people are going to go, "What? What? They're, going to, they're going to sound like Joe Biden." Come on, man. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm just, I'm just going to hear it right now.
2: Well, yeah. Well, we'll see. I think, I think it's, it's what's sillier to me even is that if they're, they're, they've been trying to impeach president trump since about november of 2016 yeah um but the latest calls where they're trying to impeach justice kavanaugh to me is even a notch yes. crazier because you know they first of all federal judges serve during good behavior that means you can't impeach them for things that happened before they were on the bench so, so it's like wait a minute we're talking 30 years before he never banned.
1: stopped a democrat
2: and, and, and it's not even there. It's events that, as, as, you know, my co-author, Molly, and I have been trying to point out, you know, that if you if you actually look at what really we know about this, there is nothing there. The woman that's part of these, you know, alleged new allegations that they've restlessly reported apparently doesn't even remember. Yeah. It so it's going, wait a minute what what do you even have there even assuming you could impeach him on something 30 years ago it's ridiculous it's like you know what they really want to do and they want to do with trump and they want to do with kavanaugh they're trying to discredit everything he Mm -hmm. does and it's really scary when that's something that's going on with the supreme court because this is this is um one of the many fronts in which there are attacks going on right now against judicial independence our judges aren't supposed they're on there for life because they're not supposed to be influenced by outside forces, it's supposed to be pure legal decisions. But you have a lot of people who want to be influencing the judges. And it's things like threatening to impeach them, like threatening to ruin their reputations with unfounded allegations. Um, you, we've had even senators submitting an amicus brief in, in a case recently saying, well, if you don't rule our way, we're, we might have to restructure the court. Mm. So yeah. we're, we're threatening you with changes to your very institution. That's crazy. And that is it is a really frightening thing to see people trying to um, strong arm and bully and threaten judges in that way. That is a branch that is supposed to be insulated from that.
1: Well, the last time we saw this was with FDR, wasn't it?
2: Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's funny. Justice Ginsburg pointed that out the other day when they were saying, what do you think about this court packing scheme? And she's like, I think they tried to do that with FDR. And she I don't know. She, probably, she might have been alive then. <laughs> um, she uh, it, it, it didn't work so well. And so it's like, hello, calmer heads, um, you know, should prevail. It's, and it's amazing that someone who is as deeply liberal as Justice Ginsburg, I think if she were running for president right now, would be way too far to the center. Of the current, mm. deal. So you're going, oh, my gosh, you guys listen to the woman. Um, she she says this is a really bad idea. Do not go down this route.
1: So, Carrie, let me ask. I mean, you and Molly have written this book, Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh confirmation and the future of the Supreme Court. What was it? What was the tipping point for you two as you were watching the confirmation of Kavanaugh and you threw your hands up and probably the food that you had at the TV and you said, This is insane. We have got to get the story out about this.
2: Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I think for me that may have come earlier than most because I was already uh, worried before he was nominated how crazy it would get. And the day he was nominated, the fact that people came out there, they came out with piles of signs, you know, oppose Kavanaugh, oppose Hardiman, oppose Barrett. They didn't care who was nominated. They're just like, we know we just we just got to oppose this person. They were on the steps of the Supreme Court shouting and these apocalyptic predictions of the kind of stuff that's going to happen mm-hmm. if uh, if Kavanaugh is confirmed. And, you know, it's not serious. And there was a really funny part we learned about later in the in the process where Senator um, Bernie Sanders was was complaining. This is bad. Even when they're complaining about there's not enough FBI investigation, et cetera. And he he's complaining about this. And Senator Grassley, who was chairman of the Judiciary Committee, writes him a letter and says, oh, you know, thanks so much, Bernie. I didn't realize you were still considering voting for this nominee because you told me you were going to vote against him from day one. Well, hey, if you really think it'll make a difference in your vote, maybe we should sit down and talk. <laughs> so just kind of calling about, hello. You guys have said you were not going to vote against this guy no matter what. So why, why do we have to appease you? There is no appeasing someone who already has decided against the nominee. If you, if you had a two-month FBI investigation. They're not going to be happy until you find some kind of information damning enough to block his nomination. So rather than have a federally funded fishing expedition, which is what they wanted, um, you know, it's like, well, we have we can look at this guy, but we do have to eventually move forward. So it's just it's hard to even think of, of a single moment there because it started from day one and it didn't even end when he was confirmed because we're throwing up our hands now going can you not leave this poor man and his family alone? You're trying to dredge up new stuff that with no journalistic integrity in terms of printing, you know, mere rumor. Uh, but that's, that's where we're at.
1: Yeah. Do you buy that whole story about how, uh, they forgot to put in that, uh, she didn't remember anything. And it was the editor who dropped that. And then the, uh, the author of this new book went back and she says, yeah, I read what he wrote uh, to go in. And, uh, I, somehow I just missed that. And I just, I'm sorry. I used to be a journalist before I became a talk show host. I've been doing, doing radio for 50 years and worked in Chicago and a lot of other places. You just don't miss that stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's ultimately, now don't get me wrong. The editor deserves some blame because the editor well, yeah. saw this information and, and uh, any any sane person knows oh, this is key to the story. And if we take it, it's not just about, oh, I need to get under 500 words or something. No, 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 you
0: have to. Right.
2: You really need uh, that information or the, or the story is dishonest. So they deserve to be blamed for this. But the author, it's your name on it. And mm-hmm. I, again, I, I, I agree with you. you like when, you, when it's your piece, you get to look at it and you get the final call and they, you, you can't just overlook something like that. On top of which, that's not the only time they've left out that information. Um, there, there. are for example, they did an interview on NPR talking about the allegation, and they did not mention the fact that the woman denied it. So you can't blame that on the editor. Uh, there have been other cases, there are other stories in this book, in fact, where they talk about allegations, in one case, an allegation that was vehemently denied by the woman he was dating at the time. Someone said he they saw him push his girlfriend in a bar and the woman who was dating with the time wrote in and, and, and under uh, you know, penalty of felony to the committee and said, no, he was always, this never happened. He was always a gentleman to me. They don't mention that. So this is not the only case that they fail to mention exonerating evidence. And it's not when they've talked about it in live interviews, they have neglected to mention that evidence. So don't blame the editors.
1: Okay. So you and Molly sat down, you, you, a co-writer with her co-author, this is Carrie Severino, by the way, Molly Hemingway, the other author of the book, Justice on Trial to Kavanaugh, Confirmation, the Future of the Supreme Court. And uh, as you guys were going through this, were there any moments that you came across and you went, you have got to be kidding. I mean, you, it, it, I mean you've been around for a long, you know, for a while, Carrie, you know, you know politics but did some of the stuff that you ran across just was like beyond the pale to you?
2: Well, again, I, I it would be so hard to even list the numbers of things that we just came home and we would, I would tell my husband, Oh my gosh, you will not believe what we heard today. <laughs> you know, and we went and go thinking, we knew a lot about this nomination process, having lived through it and watched it. Um, one of the scenes that I just kept on, being shocked i didn't know what even happened and got weirder every person we talked to was this scene in the anteroom this is after senator flake after this reopened hearing is done and it's getting ready to be voted out of committee senator flake um gets gets, uh, accosted in the elevator and starts to go wobbly and he leaves the hearing room in the middle of this senate committee meeting and then he goes in the back room and he kind of calls senator coons over and they go in the back room and nobody knew what was happening well, we talked to so many people that were in that room, and it was a crazy, crazy scene. It's a small room, but normally there's a table that wouldn't even fit all the committee members at it. They had almost the entire Senate Judiciary Committee in there, all tons of their staff. There's like a little bathroom. Senator Hatch is in the bathroom calling the ABA to try to sort out something they've done. Senator Coons and Senator Flake are... Both of them tucked together inside a phone booth. You think it's impressive what Clark Kent could do in a phone booth? This is like <laughs> over the top. There's other Senator Cornyn's trying to fit in there with him. These are big guys. Like, how, I don't even know how that how that happens. You've got spittle flying, people being stepped on, people. Sho- they were, they were, apparently, senators literally threatening to punch, threatening to punch each other out. I mean, they were so frustrated at this point. And a lot of that was the Republicans being so frustrated with what they felt like was Democrats. Abusing the process, violating the systems that were in place that everyone knew were there um, to protect, protect nominees and to protect people who had made allegations. There was a system in place for the Senate ever since Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas because so they said, We want to be able to look into allegations, but we don't want to create a circus. We don't want to expose nominees unnecessarily if, if it turns out there's nothing. And we don't want to expose the people making the allegations because it's not fair for them to be dragged into the limelight either. Instead of following that process, which would have achieved all of these goals, you could have looked into it without making Christine Blasey Ford take the stand, without making Kavanaugh um, destroying his reputation publicly. They didn't do that. Senator Feinstein held out of this letter. And the way it was run was so infuriating to the Senate Republicans um, that 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 scene in that back room just turned into a complete fiasco. And that was that was part of the, the fueling anger behind it.
1: Did the Democrats honestly think that they, that they could stop this? Did they honestly believe they could?
2: Well, you know, I think I think for a while there, they probably did, because from our reporting, it was really on a, a knife's edge for, you know, that toward the end there, it, it might have been stopped. You know, at some point, um, I think their their strategy all along, though, was to delay. They wanted to get it past the election if they could. They thought it was going to help them. In the election, I think right. it turned out the way they did it, it really hurt them because people were so incensed at the, the, the shenanigans going on. Um, but then they thought they could try, hopefully try to defeat him. And if that didn't work, they wanted to discredit him. And we have evidence of that recently because there was a, a video uncovered by a, a reporter, Ryan Lovelace, talking about Deborah Katz. She was, it was This is the woman who is Christine Blasey Ford's lawyer. She's giving a speech and she said we wanted to put an asterisk next to his name. We wanted so that whenever, especially if he his decisions he he would do potentially on abortion, we wanted that to flavor everything he did. So they really just want to say, hey, this justice doesn't count. And uh, that is a that's a really dangerous uh, strategy to have. And I think it's one they've used against Justice Thomas as well. I clerked for Justice Thomas and I've seen it over the years. I mean, they didn't just pack up and go home after defeating him. They engaged in a decade-long propaganda campaign so that so many people don't realize uh, th- that he is one of the most influential and insightful members of the bench. Instead, all they think of is, oh, didn't he have this kind of confirmation thing back then? And you look at the way they talk about it, HBO, for example, and all mm-hmm. the, the reimaginings, they make it look like Anita Hill was clearly telling the truth. In fact, the people who watched the hearings at the time, two to one, did not believe her and believed Thomas over her. So they don't tell the story of, oh, these were never substantiated. Oh, she changed her story multiple times. The FBI agents said so. (laughs) They they don't say that part.
1: Yeah, it's it's incredible how the Republicans are treated and and their nominees. I mean, I can go back to Bork. I'll never forget Bork. I'll just never Mm -hmm. forget what they did to that man. He was one of probably one of the great minds that would have been great on the court and he didn't get his shot at the court because they didn't want him there. I mean, Teddy Kennedy didn't want him there. It's that simple.
2: Well, he didn't He didn't want him there, and they had the power by the time Bork was in the bench to do that. Because when we, were, we tell some of the history to give the context of Kavanaugh. And so we tell the Bork story. But one of the things we learned that I didn't know even before is that he gave that famous Robert Bork America speech of how horrible America is going to be if Robert Bork is yep. in the court. I didn't realize he had given that almost that same speech before about. Chief Justice Rehnquist that if he were Chief Justice here's all these horrible things that are going to happen but at the time they didn't control the Senate and so they while they made it hard for Rehnquist they weren't able to block him and then they tried it again after having won the Senate so I think that is a good reminder that people like to talk about elections have consequences and I would like to remind them elections for the Senate also have consequences yes they so, do you know if 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 the Democratic Senate had been in control during Bork's nomination, uh, I think we would have had a justice Bork today.
1: Oh, boy, I can only imagine what he... That book, Slouching Towards Gamora, is one of the best books mm-hmm. ever written. Kerry Severino is our guest. She, along with Molly Hemingway, have uh, penned the book Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh Confirmation, and the Future of the Supreme Court. So let's talk about the future. We've got just a few moments left together in this uh, interview. Uh, what do you s- see of this? I mean, it's it's really become so... Even more partisan than what it was back in, in Bork's day. I mean I'm I'm hoping Amy gets her shot from Notre Dame, uh the next time around if the president is reelected. And uh I can only imagine what that's gonna be like.
2: Well yeah, whoever the next nominee is. I think they have to be prepared. And that, that's one of the reasons we wrote this book, because we know this isn't the last nomination that's going to have this kind of hostility and this kind of stakes. And it's, it's really the stakes of the nomination that determine how crazy it gets. You know, it wasn't as, it was, it was definitely, there was a lot of hostility about placing, replacing Scalia with Gorsuch, but it was nowhere near this level. And that's because Kavanaugh was replacing a swing vote on the court. And that's mm-hmm. a big, big deal. Imagine if you have a Trump nominee replacing a liberal vote on the court. That would create a shift and a sea change in the court. I think, you know, it's hard to imagine the left going more ballistic, but they sure would try. And um, so I think if we have to be prepared. We have to know what happened. It's a, it's a old adage, if you've got to know your history, you're going to be condemned to repeat it. And then we have to hold people accountable uh, for the actions they took during this, whether that's the senators, none of whom have really received anything uh, like a reprimand for having violated Senate rules and procedures over this during this nomination, whether that's the people who submitted false allegations. And there's some people who admitted to having submitted false allegations. You know, this, there's others that we all are going, wait a minute, there's there's inconsistencies here. This doesn't add up. But there, there are some that are admittedly and demonstrably false. They've been referred to the DOJ for um, investigation, for criminal investigation, because it's a felony. Do not lie to the judiciary. It's right. a felony. Um, and they have nothing's happened. So if, if, if there are no consequences, then we can, that's guaranteeing that next time we're going to see the same process repeat again.
1: So what do you what do you say to, you know, Amy or whoever it might be that comes up uh, for the next Supreme Court justice? I mean, how do you prepare somebody to be veified like that? I mean, to everybody to be told that you're the worst thing uh, since the scum on the b- bottom of the ocean.
2: Uh, I think this is why it's important that Trump's list has people on it, not and she's she's not the only one of these There's people on there who have demonstrated that they can stand up to public pressure. Mm -hmm. And that's something you have to kind of vet for going in. Um, So someone who's willing to because it's whether they're during their confirmation process or seeing what The New York Times writes about you when you make a decision that they don't like, um, you have to be ready to stand up to it. Um, I love what one justice pointed out to us as we were. Um, interviewing them about the, about this book saying you know we ask our men and women in uniform to put a lot more than their reputations in the line every day and so um, so I think that kind of is, is a good fortifying thing to say, you know what this could be really horrible, but there are people who put their lives in the line for our country and so I can, I can do at least this much. Um, but I do think we all need to have our eyes open and make sure that we don't get hoodwinked by people following this same playbook that they've used over and over again, um, and, and that we don't see more of the same and forget the history that we've had um, going into it now. And I think we can also, you know, take heart that it, in some ways it is a healthy uh, thing for judges to realize, you know what, you're not going to get necessarily praised by people on the left, no matter how reasonable you appear. So don't don't try to, you know, don't try to pander in your opinions to anyone, because that's not going to that's they're not going to forgive you for having a you know, conservative opinion that one day do what you know is legally right and be willing to do that and stand up to whatever pressure. And I think that's what's ultimately going to bear the best legacy for every justice in the court.
1: So what uh, last question for you, what uh, should the Republican Party pull out of this? What do we need to learn from this uh, whole historical matter that has that has happened?
2: Well, I think we need I think the reason Kavanaugh got confirmed is because a lot of the people in the process did know their history. They were there watching during the the Thomas confirmation, whether that's White House counsel, Don McGahn, whether that's Leader McConnell and Senator Grassley, both of whom were in the Senate Mm -hmm. at the time. I think it was very important to have people who recognized that in the process or you may have seen this nomination go go down in flames. So I think know know your history. And then I think just there's, there's, you know, I think they'll probably take more care with confidential materials because people like Spartacus Booker have shown that they're not willing to respect um, confidentiality in any way. I think, uh, you know, it's just a matter of being always ready to respond to um, scurrilous allegations (laughs) and things like that. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's the kind of thing that you just have to go in with everyone on the same page going, guys, we're not we know what's coming. And let's not go wobbly uh, when the going gets
1: tough. All right. Carrie Severino, Molly Hemingway, her uh, co-author, Justice on Trial, The Kavanaugh Confirmation and the Future of the Supreme Court. Highly recommend, folks, that you read it. You need to know what the enemy's playbook is. I'm just telling you, you got to know. And Carrie, you and uh, Molly did a good job of just laying it out and letting people see for what it was. And I appreciate your time today. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye now. Carrie Severino here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Great interview. Great, great lady and very articulate and uh, has a good sense of humor too, and that's good. Uh, Molly Hemingway has written a few other books. Uh, Be interesting to see if her and uh, and Molly get together and write anything further uh, in the future. Again, the name of the book, Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh confirmation and the future of the Supreme court. All right. So here's how the rest of the show will play out today. When we come back from our break, we're going to play president Trump's uh, speech to the UN. A lot of you didn't get a chance to hear it. I haven't even had a chance to hear it. I was doing things, uh, you know, here at work that didn't let me get around the TV or on uh, the internet and to take part in listening to what the president had to say. Let me bring you up to date on what's happened today. So the Democrats look like they want to start impeachment hearings uh, on the president. I think it's going to be a very bad thing for them to do, to be honest. I just saw that Joe Biden, uh, former Vice President Biden, former Senator Biden, uh, made a statement about uh, uh, the president. Uh, saying, you know, this is not the way a president of the United States should act, blah, 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 You know, the thing that everybody says about Trump. Trump is Trump, just the way it is. Trump is Trump, and he's going to act like Trump. That's what he's going to do. Uh, the president has said that he's going to uh, release uh, the transcript unredacted from that call. And he says, everybody's going to see. I didn't try to pressure anybody into anything. I think he's given the Democrats all the rope they want. To put the noose around their neck, we'll find out tomorrow if that's the case. we got a lot more to talk about. Here is the news. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency,
0: knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.